Hi, my name's Natasha Taylor and this is Open Classrooms, a podcast series produced by the Academic Development Group in Science, Engineering and Health at RMIT University. In each episode of Open Classrooms, we explore an approach to teaching and learning which is being used in one of our many varied teaching contexts. It is a space for those involved, teachers and learners, to share their stories and inspire others to try out new ideas. To start off season two in 2020, we have our guest Homi Ashravzada from the School of Science, who's going to talk about the different approaches he uses to engage students of software engineering. So hi, Omi. Thanks for coming in. Hello. As ever, we start off with you telling us a bit about yourself and um, the your role as a lecturer in the programmes you teach. So right. tell us about you. Yeah, uh, I came to Australia like in 2012 and oh, okay. I came here for a study at first. But okay. at the same time, RMIT invited me to teach as a tutor. Uh, because I had experience like for 12 years in the industry uh, in software engineering and uh, different projects like in the banking area, insurance area. Okay. So, and I found um, I like it. So it was a change of career for me. And after that, I started just teaching. Okay. And so eight years on, uh, yeah. where do you find yourself now? What, what are you teaching and what role do you take? Yeah. I'm teaching different uh, software engineering courses. Okay. Uh, my job is basically making students ready uh, for the job. And um, sometimes I'm supervising the capstone project, which is the final project of sure. uh, bachelor's students. Uh-huh. Um, and practice with them the experience that uh, I had in the industry, what is important for the industry right now, mm-hmm. uh, transfer that to them. And also in software engineering, what are the principles in software engineering? Okay, cool. And so roughly how how many students would you have on the software engineering course, courses? Uh, well, at the moment it's increasing. So um, I can say this semester we will have um, in one of our courses, um, 250 students. Okay. Uh, in the past, it was less, but right now, 250, 200 is the number that we usually have. Okay, so they're quite big cohorts. And would they all be looking at careers in kind of software engineering? We hope so. Hope so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's cool. So um, thinking a bit about where the students uh, kind of come from and when they arrive with you, what they have, what, what are some of the challenges you think that they face when they're studying the sorts of subjects you're teaching? The first, I think, is the lot of materials that we have in software engineering, and because we have a big reference and also um, a lot of standards we have to okay. talk about. Uh-huh. So I can say it's long and sometimes even boring. Mm. So it's really hard to get the full attention of the student in the class. And, and the other issue that we have is software engineering right now is all about communication as agile yeah. uh, can came in and it's really important to have a good communication and engagement with your student in their project and assignments. Mm. So it's not just the kind of the engineering and the design, you know, the, the content aspects of the discipline, but it's also about ha- ways of working and knowing how to go out into the it world. It is. It's about perform. practicing teamwork, uh-huh. even how to talk um, or communicate uh, technically. Um, and um, that's that's the important part as well. Yes. Uh-huh. How how do the students react to that? What do they kind of value? Well, appreciate why you're doing this. It depends. We have all sort of students when we have a 250 class, mm. but 
Yeah, the issue is good students are always good and they know why they're here mm-hmm. and what they're looking for. Uh, so that's why then my focus is on average and even um, bigger students, how okay. I can get their attention. And uh, basically because they don't like to engage, especially people in IT area. Yeah, They like to just be behind their computer. Mm-hmm. No one talk to them mm-hmm. and just do their job, mm. which in right now in the... Um, in the world of software engineering and IT right now, that's a problem. You have to engage, you have to be able to communicate properly. Yeah, and presumably this is something you need to start really early. You can't just suddenly (laughs) introduce that to them as they're walking out the door and, um, you know, try and compete in what must be quite... Yeah, and most of the time in our area, students uh, are thinking why we should even know these things Mm. because we just need to know how to, for example, do programming. Yeah. Which... It's a big mistake because if you don't know the principles, uh-huh. then right now, you know, all the words depending on IT. Yeah. Um, that miscommunication can make a disaster. I give for I give you just one example okay. in software testing, uh-huh. which a bad test can say this software is good and pass the production. Mm. And imagine that software is, for example, for a car or for mm. an airplane. Absolutely. It can make a disaster. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah real implications to yeah. to them not having that full yeah. rounded portfolio of skills um so talk to us a bit about the approaches you use then so i get that these are not exactly the most exciting <laughs> uh, approaches and topics that students might think that they're here for so how do you get them yeah um different ways um for example um, one of the experiences that i had was in vietnam actually uh-huh. when i was teaching in RMIT vietnam and i found uh, when the classes are smaller mm. And the way of teaching is more lectorial rather yep. than just a lecture. Okay. Um, you can have better engagement and communication with the students. Okay. So, and But in general, what I'm doing is I'm not talking for a long time. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to talk for 15 minutes, 20 minutes about the lecture note. I cut the lecture note as much as I can. Okay. Make it um, not too long because then they never studied and it's just making them nervous for the exam as well. Mm-hmm. So I cut that part. I try to give them demos and some practical work so uh-huh. uh, they can work with me also in the lecture. At the same time, um, making some uh, bonus question, okay. basically, um, during the lecture. So um, they can involve, but the, we do all these things, but it's still, it's really hard to um, basically get engagement that we want when mm. the class is so big, when we have 250 or 200 students, sure. or even 100 mm. in the lecture class. Absolutely, 100 is a, big, a yeah. big number when you're trying to, to get yeah. through. Um, would you be just using Q&A kind of techniques, or are you actually getting the students to work in small groups or as individuals on problems, or um, you know, what are they actually doing? Definitely, if I I have a, a lab class or tutor class. Yeah. And that's possible. But again, in the lecture class, because in the lecture class, we the way that they're sitting and the, mm. basically we don't have the requirement to do that. Yeah. Um, they're all sitting all in a rows and beside each other. So there's no small groups and such okay. a thing. 
Yeah. That's one of the things that actually we're discussing right now, how we can change this and even go uh, to, uh, to the way that make the classes smaller and then do the lectorial rather than lecture if, that, if it's possible. But mm-hmm. then we have a lot of resources like all the teachers at the same time yeah. they have to teach. You know? Absolutely. So how do the students in Vietnam kind of respond to this? Because I know sometimes um, staff are staff who teach in the, in the Vietnam context and can contrast it to the Melbourne campus. Um, students come with a very different experiences of learning and teaching. Very interesting. They expect yeah. more instruction and expect to be yeah. passive. So what, how's that manifested? Um, to be honest, I, I, my um, expectation was these students, because the way and the courses that uh, we have probably um, Vietnam, in Vietnam, students may be weaker, but mm-hmm. and I did exactly same material that's I'm teaching in Melbourne. Mm. I used that in Vietnam. Not only that, it was a block mode. So it wasn't yes. like a total semester in 12 weeks. Okay. Uh, I had to finish it in uh, four weeks. Okay. Which is really, really intense teaching. So, and I even didn't change the assignment that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, so every second day we had a class. Mm-hmm. and uh, But I had three hours class rather than, for example, two hours lecture. Right, okay. So in the class, I was um, talking about the lecture and then go through some actually tutorial lab and then I can go back to the lecture and it was really good. Um, I never had that rate of satisfactory in Melbourne, but mm-hmm. in Vietnam, 95% uh, we got the satisfactory rate, which is really high. That is high. And how is that? As a, that sounds quite an intense teaching experience because three hours, you know, really on the go. Does, does, how does that flow? Does it feel? Well, the most important thing in that kind of teaching is you, you must have a plan for every minute of that three yeah. hours. Yeah. So starting with usually as Asking um, any question from the um, two days ago, last class, or anything that you want to ask about your project. Mm-hmm. Then um, talking about what is the plan for today. Okay. Um, then uh, I was going through again the lecture with a little bit of break. Then like every twenty minutes, I was like two minutes break, and then start with practicing again after practicing because I'm talking with different groups. They have this time to do whatever they want. Basically, yep. it's not always three hours just looking at me, listening to me. It's impossible. Absolutely, yeah. there's a good and really interesting. Um, area of study at the moment sort of some literature emerging which talks about this idea of space learning and having um to reduce the amount you give to students to kind of a 10 15 minute intense amount of content and then to get them using their brain in a different way so you know to have a break but even to get them using their hands or chatting or facebooking or whatever but the the key is to give that give your brain that change of pace and and get it working in a different way it's really very good point you said that because um right now students before coming to the class most of them or even after they have a lot of online material or resources to to look at that's another reason that they don't like two hours lecture Mm. because they think why should I do that I I can just watch a YouTube video about something that uh, the lecturer said which is not really the best approach for academic knowledge but they think like that Um, so we have to really do different things to Mm. get their attention especially when students are looking 
looking around and they have a lot of right now online resources. So we have to do better and upgrade ourselves at the same time. Mm. We have to watch those videos that they want to watch before even. Absolutely. How do you ensure that all of the students are actually with you in that space? Because you mentioned earlier about the... It's, it's the average or the you know below average performing students that, that you're interested in engaging and taking with you. That's with, quite difficult, isn't it, in a space of 100 to 200 there's students? There's no specific to, way, but with asking questions, basically, uh-huh. because I can ask questions like you answer me a specific person, but okay. in general, with asking questions and see how many uh, students are answering or uh-huh. um, basically raising their hand even. Yeah. So that's basically a measure. But like I said, in the 200 uh, or even 100 uh, students class, it's really hard to do this. But mm. like I said, the best is for me or based on my experience, uh, just do not uh, make a monologue talk. That's not going to work. Mm. So do some even games if I can yep. with them. So or asking some online question and ask them, okay, well, now with your phone even, uh, go to this Google form, for example, and answer these two questions. Mm-hmm. And yeah, presumably you can have that up on the screen, you know, yeah. use the tech in the room to actually yeah. um, keep them all with you. Um, no, that's really interesting. Um, anything else? All other approaches to engagement have you experimented with? Yeah, well, because we are doing software engineering, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that I always try to do, especially if I have a smaller size of the class, is um, breaking the ice and yeah. try to ask them to. Um, I'm trying basically to get closer to my student. Yeah. I'm trying to remember their name. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that I always like to do, which is really hard. It is. But um, one thing that I do in some classes is. Um, asking them to write down their names in a very, uh, basically in um, A6 paper uh-huh. and put it in front of them. Mm-hmm. So when I want to talk to them, um, I can call them with their name. And when they're talking to each other, yes. if they don't know each other, they yeah, can do exactly. that as well. Yeah, great. So that's one thing that I, um, I'm asking them to basically do, and it's working really good. Mm. Um, I also put my name. So good. Yeah, because they also forget my name sometimes. Um, So that's one way. The other is um, I'm uh, investigating and I have actually an archive of uh, different um, uh, games Uh for students. I know it's not an academic way, but it can engage them. I think it really yeah, can be very active. Yeah. I think there's a, a great uh, body of work on game-based learning. Yeah, for example, because they like competition. Yeah, yeah. Um, they may not like just reading stuff and uh, doing things, but when I'm teaching a Scrum, mm. which is an agile methodology, and uh-huh. it's about the project management, yep. um, I have an archive uh, during the many years that I have different uh, games of uh, teaching, for example, this specific subject with this specific game. Yep. So first I make some teams with them and then uh, explain what is the game and then we do it's a lot of laughing, Mm -hmm. um, basically a lot of um, fun. Mm. They like it. And at the end, based on the results of that game and the scores, I'm explaining now how these are relevant to the actual technology and the engineering. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm thinking of a session I've observed you actually doing. Um, and it was exactly that. And I'm thinking of the, uh, there were teams and they had to view a picture and then the picture was covered up and they had to draw the picture 
oh, yes. um, as part of the team. And yeah, you were excellent at introducing that um, sense of competition, but in a very serious way. It wasn't messing about. Um, it was fun, but there was a point to it. And I think that's the challenge, isn't it, with introducing games to students? They don't want to think it's silly. Um, no, I, I leave them, but exactly. at the same time, I'm trying to remind them what is that for? Absolutely. Yeah. And there's a point to it. And um, I think the skill of the teacher at the end, which I, I definitely think you have, is that ability to observe what they've done and then tell them what they've True. what they've learned. And, and sometimes those observations aren't pretty. Um, it's sharing with them where they failed as well as where they succeeded. Yes. Um, but, you know, in that in that group context, yes. actually talking about what you And the fun part, those learned. were not even as students. Yes, no, we they were. Weren't. They were members of staff and it was yeah. absolutely brilliant. Um, one of the things we might do is share some of those... Um, resources on the blog afterwards for anyone who's interested it was a really good activity actually but yeah it's it is a challenge as a teacher to introduce gaming um and it's yeah, even so much more I, some, fun than some just colleagues Christmas. actually they're they don't like this no it's they, yeah. they're thinking i'm wasting my time and yeah and i was thinking also a similar thing when you talked about icebreakers lots of people don't use icebreakers because they're worried that people hate them find them silly won't engage with them um i had these comments from students yeah 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 oh absolutely um and if i think (laughs) hate to admit it but sometimes when i'm in sessions i hate doing them too um but there's always you know a point to it and i think that they're most successful when the facilitator or the teacher is confident and sticks with it and explains what when we are teaching i think it's important to think not always students are best and brilliant yeah I know brilliant students sometimes think these things are worried just give us the real stuff Mm -hmm. but um, at the same time we have to think about the majority and we have to think about um, these people not all of them are going to apply for PhD after that Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely some of them they want to just work I think most of them so we have to think about them too and yeah and average student for me is my target mm. um a weaker student i'm trying to be close to them and help them as much as i can yeah but um for a lot of reason you can't always do your everything for them because they have to have that wheel as well but i'm talking about the student who they have that wheel to study but they're kind of confused or they lost their ways mm. or they don't like communication again yeah yeah, but yeah. when you get that communication, I received lots of emails after each semester mm-hmm. that they had fun and they enjoyed and uh, they think this is a really good way of teaching. And of course, I can make everyone happy. And that, I do. No, no, we, yeah. none of us can ever, yeah. especially with a group that big. And yeah, yeah to, to have an ambition to make everyone happy would be um, naive, I think. Yeah. But no, and it, and it is those emails, you know, and the, the comments that come up after. And, and what you see in the room, if you're seeing them all engaging and laughing and um, busy and it's noisy, then that's a, you know, a really strong indicator sure. that they're benefiting from it. Have you seen any differences in... Um, kind of performance and grades as you've changed things in different ways have have they become better (laughs) at the assessment Um, parts (laughs) i can say i've seen um the changes basically in their communication yeah and i've seen even after the semester they're sending me for example now we know why you said for example that or you did that yeah um but in performance um yes 
most of the time, mm. especially when we um, compare from early uh, basically assessment to final assessment, but not for everyone. Yeah, no, not for everyone. And I think sometimes if you're t- teaching the kind of course you're teaching at that level, it's not till the later years where the real learning game happens. You're kind of laying the foundations yeah. and yeah. putting the first layers down. You might not see an immediate. Um, yeah. Well, the issue that we have in software engineering is uh, we have a lot of materials and tools and technologies that we have to talk about. Mm. And a lot of students, they know and they understand why we're talking about this maybe some years even after. Okay. It needs time to digest yep. these basically uh, materials. Uh, yeah, and they need yeah. to ref- reflect on that. Yeah. yeah, that's true. In terms of challenges for you, because well, I'm, I'm smiling because um, I I hear all your ideas and I think they're good ideas and I would try them myself, but I would always be worried and we've picked up on this already about um, the risks associated and the challenges. So if you were to reflect back on the last couple of years, maybe what would you say was the biggest challenge that you'd faced? My biggest challenge? I think my uh, is... Uh, generations are changing so fast and we have to update ourselves with them Mm. and in your field you must see this more acutely than most of us and i don't know but what i'm thinking is when i'm talking for example um in because i have to supervise their project and sit with them yeah this is something again another way of engagement that i'm sitting with each group and asking them what they've done or what is their problem or um when we have this kind of meeting with each group or with these students, they're talking sometimes in the way that I can see, okay, I have to go back and understand what they're talking about because <gasps> they're talking about a specific word that is happening, for example, in a uh, rap song that okay. I have no idea what is that. Uh-huh. But they're talking to each other yep. in a meeting like that. So it's better if I know and I understand so I can engage also. Yeah. Absolutely. It's not necessary, but it's something that can help me to be closer to my student. Absolutely. I think that it takes some confidence in actually, um, A, doing that, but B, being open about doing that as well. And, you know, saying, I don't know this and it's relevant. So either you tell me about it or I'll... Yeah. find out about it but yeah. you know it puts us on more of a level playing field yeah. with our students and kind yeah. of breaks down that power relationship a bit I guess and you know puts yeah. us there all as yeah. co-learners I guess correct I know a lot of lecturers they um, totally disagree with this approach yeah. because they think teaching is just going to the class talk finish the talk and go out mm-hmm. uh, I think teaching is more than that um, I'm probably thinking a little bit t- traditional because mm. um, when I was a kid, I was thinking a teacher is like this. Mm. Um, and I tr- I'm trying to be their teacher, but also a good friend mm. at the same time, mm. uh, which I know what, where are the lines with basically yeah. thinking about the lines and consider them, but also uh, be a friend that it, we can advise them. It's not only about, I'm a teacher, you're a student. I can say, well, I'm a good friend that I know some things better than you mm. and I can help you to learn them and use them in your life. Yeah, and there's that co-respect there, um, which is crucial, you know, and that trust as well, I guess, to yes. to take that forward. And I'd like to think that that's what they're going to experience when they go out into the real world. These are the relationships True. they're going to have to craft themselves day after day, week after week with yeah. the people they work with. True. Um, and, you know, this, I guess, gives them a good grounding in that. 
Um, so. But it's not easy. It's not <laughs> no, easy. It's not. It's very challenging. Yeah. It's um, sometimes I'm getting very, very, um, I can say, hurtful mm. comments yeah. uh, from a few students that they think um, this is a waste of time. Yep. But in general, I'm getting a positive feedback. Mm. And students can get very defensive and worried, I think, when assessment gets brought into it and they feel that they have to, they're going to be judged on certain criteria that they don't feel comfortable that's, with. That's another that's issue. I'm always talking about the assessment to students. So don't think about the assessment. Mm. Don't think about the exam. Mm. Think about learning this and working with this. Mm. Do you if think you can, they listen? No, probably. <laughs> but if they can work with it, the exam yeah. is probably yeah. is nothing then. And as long as you keep consistent with that message, um, that's the key. Finally, then, this is a question we always ask to um, tie things up, is the thinking about you and your role as a teacher and your identity and skills as a teacher. Through doing these different approaches, what would you say have been the benefits for you? If any. Um, yeah, well, the benefit is... Um, because when I'm talking to industry, um, they are telling me students are coming. They don't have that engagement that we yeah. want. They don't. They don't know how to communicate with us. Mm -hmm. So it's helping me at the same time also to engage with them. Yeah. And do my work better. Yeah. Understand them, so it can actually increase my also confidence. So I, when I'm talking with the students. Mm. And I know sometimes in the middle of the semester when I have that engagement, if I do a mistake or what they want, I can change actually the way of teaching yeah. or even the material uh, based on um, the student's request. Mm. But if you're not close to them, you never know what they want. No, you don't. Because they're not talking. No, and, and sometimes you may get it right and often you'll get it wrong. Exactly. And that's when, yes, now I think. And I think looking at you now and you're smiling, I think one of the most biggest benefits must be that you enjoy it. Your classes sound fun. Oh. I love it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is a brilliant note to end on. So thank you, Homie, for taking the time to open up your classroom doors. Thank you, Ian, for having me. No worries. Um, if anyone's interested in knowing more about Homie's work, um, we'll ensure that there's some resources and follow-up things on the blog. This has been Open Classrooms, episode 19, recorded at RMIT University in Melbourne.